You ready? Okay. What are you getting? Well, I'm getting a bounce. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lightness within it as well. Interesting. Yeah. Hold you on, know, just, honey, it's a yeah. very tricky color, and I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Terry and I worship an unconventional deity. The power of another dimension. Now, you're not going to read about this dimension in a book or in a magazine or uh, in a newspaper uh, because it doesn't exist anywhere except in my own mind. Welcome to the David Allen Show. Sit down, girls. Okay, good, good. Is this episode number 16? Uh, yeah. Is it 16? I think it is. Or 17? Um, I think it's 16. Well, let me look. We really, again, show prep, ladies and gentlemen. 15 or 16. Well, we're focusing on things that matter. And 16, hey. Yeah, 16, one, six. Does that mean four months? This is a four-month anniversary? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it is. Huh. Wow. Can you believe it? No. No, I can't. No, I can't. I can't not. I can't not believe it. Four months of extreme success. <laughs> I mean, my life has changed. Uh, the money, um, all of the interviews. Um, did, oh, did you get all the money? I wondered where it went. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I... I spent it. So they it good. say. It was good. And who's they? I don't know. The guy in his basement in his underpants. That if you were a martyr for Islam. Okay. What do you get? What's the perk? Uh, you know, they say 72 versions. <laughs> versions? <laughs> yeah. A version? Versions. A version of what? A virgin. Of, oh, virgin. Oh, yeah. like a version. No, no. Like a version of a. You say t- tomato, <laughs> I say virgin. <laughs> Uh, no, a vir- uh, virgin. <clears throat> yeah. According, this is from 2009. <clears throat> According to an Islam tradition, Muslim martyrs will go to paradise and marry 72 black-eyed virgins. But some Quran scholars point to a less sexy paradise. While beautifully written, Islamic texts are often obscure. The Arabic language was born as a written language with the Quran. Quran. And growing evidence suggests that many of the words were Syriac or Aramaic. <laughs> Aramaic. They, it wasn't. It wasn't camels versus <laughs> misinterpreted. Specifically, the Quran says martyrs going to heaven will get quote her, which is H U R, and the word was taken by early commentators to mean virgins. Hence, those seventy-two concubines. But. In Aramaic, her, H-U-R, actually meant white and was commonly used to specifically mean white grapes. (laughs) I blow myself up for this? 72 grapes? Are you kidding me? They might have a slight surprise. Well, other than the fact that they have to stand before a holy God, <clears throat> that is oh, quite beside that fact, beside that. Allah. Huh. But wouldn't that be funny if they just got it wrong? What's the What's I, the next selling option? You know, you can make some good wine with that. 
Yeah, but just that's just a drink, just a drink. Uh, you know, I don't think I don't think that would work because they're perpetual virgins. The seventy-two. So this would be perpetual. Yeah, you know, you know how grapes. they, you know how they so get to be, be that way. To f- you just get to look at them. What's that? You don't get to touch them. You get to look at them. Oh, that would be. <laughs> I so, suppose. So tell me how that's paradise. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <clears throat> this the David Allen show, everybody. <clears throat> I um. <laughs> Dying for seventy-two raisins sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I mean, there's. That's interesting. Has anybody pointed that out to them? They're dead. Well, I mean, but see, now they're using Donald Trump for recruiting. They don't need virgins. Apparently, Donald Trump is a better recruiter. Really? Than, than virgins? Yeah. If you listen to any of the liberals, that's what they say. Uh-huh. I mean, all they're panicking out of their minds that Donald Trump might possibly become. Uh, the Republican. Oh wait, this just in. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Donald Trump, right here on me uh, notification tab. Oh, let's find it. Bing, 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 bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. Donald Trump uh, officially. Passes the 1,237 delegate threshold for securing the Republican nomination for president. Uh, You think it's game over yet on the R side? I'm sensing, yeah. You think really it's game over or are they still going to push for something else? You know, anything at this point speculation. Anything's possible. Well, not anything's possible. I mean, Donald Trump can't, like, time travel or fly. That's... Yes, he can. He's no. got an airplane with his name no, on no, it. No, 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 his hair can. Oh. But he can't. Mm. <clears throat> so not everything's possible. I, uh... I just find it so strange. Which? Well. 72 raisins? I mean, well, no. <laughs> 16 weeks ago, we oh. were talking about Donald Trump and. And he had Ted no chance. Cru- yeah. Oh, yeah. Cruz was a biggie. Yeah, he was going to Cruz clean up. or. Um, who, who else? Who else? Uh, was there? Kasich. He was still in the game. No, but it, before. Oh, or Rubio. Oh, yeah. Rubio. Marco. Mm-hmm. The Cuban. I yeah, mean, the, the Cuban. <laughs> Yeah, the Tony Montana, <clears throat> um, other Republican Party, man. <clears throat> uh, I mean, I remember talking about that and thinking. I mean, my 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 personal opinion back then was that the powers that be that run the show <clears throat> are going to want a Republican, and mm-hmm. I still think. And you thought Rubio was it? Well, yeah, potentially. Who else? But before Rubio. Who was, who was, was it Jeb? No, Jeb. Was, no, there Jeb was somebody Jeb was the else. anointed one from the beginning. But when he lost else? his, when he burned $150 million for no result, then the, the big money and the, uh, the air quotes, brains of the R establishment, uh, their money was on Rubio. 
Rubio was the next one. Didn't work out. Yeah, I still think that the uh, the powers that be uh, <clears throat> wanted to do that, but I don't think they took into account the extreme distaste that modern politics has put in people's mouth. And so people are going to vote for Trump just because he's not the typical candidate. And I think Bernie would be the would be the same same way, but I don't know, it doesn't doesn't look like it. Unless of course uh Hillary gets indicted. Then, yeah. then it's then it's the burnification. <clears throat> well, I will say, and this is, uh, it was shared <clears throat> by someone who on my social who? media feed that will rena- rename remain anonymous because anonymous. I don't have. Be the change you want. This is a video put out Be by the Bernie. change you want to see in the world. This is lovely people. You voted against talking. the Defense of Marriage Act. <gasps> He's an original sponsor of the Equality Act. He's the only candidate that truly sees all humans as equal. And when it wasn't popular? He stood up to don't ask, don't tell. What I most love about Bernie is that he's always been involved in community action. He didn't care if people called him radical for doing the right thing. I've heard him defend us and stand up for us. Just the first time that I felt included as a human. I really appreciate Bernie's commitment and authenticity over time. You said something about homos in the military. Was the gentleman referring to the many thousands and thousands of gay people who have put their lives on the line in countless wars? You have insulted thousands. He's been an ally for over three decades. Sé el cambio que quieres ver en nuestro mundo. Be the change you wish to see. Be the change before you see the change. Bernie Sanders is my voice. He's fought for me and now it's my time to fight for him. Be on the right side of history. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity to support this man who's been fighting for us for his entire career. And Bernie, you're no longer walking alone. Real change never ever takes place from the top on down. It always takes place from the bottom on up. Let's just rehear that last line. This takes place. Takes place. Nah. Real change never, ever takes place from the top on down. It always takes place from the bottom on up. I would like to call that as straight up. I don't have a beeper. Crap. Yeah, I'd concur. Real change only, <clears throat> sorry, I got choked up, only comes from the bottom up and never, ever, ever comes from the top down. Are you kidding? So he just advocated um, revolt. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he's doing, he's saying it from the viewpoint of the 60s with the hippies. <clears throat> it's that entire video posted to Bernie Sanders' Facebook page um, was all gay couples 
and people. Mm-hmm. The entire thing. Sure. Of course it was. So, I'm intrigued that he's pushing that out. So he's claiming, whether true or not, that he has the gay vote and Hillary does not. I don't know. I bet, probably. Could be. But then someone posted... But the gay vote is only 2 to 3%, regardless of what people are going to say. But they're loud. <clears throat> so, I would gladly give him the gay vote if I could have the... Uh, the heterosexual vote, he could keep the gay vote and the transsexual vote. And That's true, percentage-wise. flaming communist vote. and <laughs> Socialist the, vote. The, That's getting bigger, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, he can keep all the felons. <laughs> and Illegals. The illegals. <laughs> Wait, they shouldn't vote? Yeah. I mean, if he wants them, you know, go ahead. Uh, someone commented on this video. I will not allow anyone but Bernie to have my vote. This is my right, and if the DNC thinks they can blackmail me into voting for anyone, they are sorely mistaken. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Because when we go to... I have to again, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't have it queued up. When we go to this Hillary woman... Um, Hillary, where are you? Hillary. Hillary. Hellra. It's the Hillster. She claims that she has already gotten the nomination. It's done. Yeah, that's it's what in said. the bag. Yep. There, there is no way, no way, she will not be the nominee. That's what she claims. Yeah, it doesn't matter how many uh, elderly Jewish nope. men she has to nope. kill. Nope. 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 She is it. So there will be some craziness if old Bernard happens to stay in the entire time. There will be just some sort of uproar. Yeah, I'd agree. Oh, here it is. This Hillary, I believe, with the uh, Chris Chris Cuomo... No. (gasps) They couldn't have it up. That is crazy. Who? What? The video is gone. That clip is gone from the web. What clip? Of Hillary saying she was it. (laughs) Okay, here's the transcript. Cuomo. Not CNN. So you get into the general election. If you're the nominee for your party and... Clinton, I will be the nominee for my party, Chris. That is already done. In effect, there is no way that I won't be. Really? Yeah. Quote from Hillary. Do you think that that's just the... uh, The crack talking? I mean... (laughs) The... uh, how How would you put it? The real Hillary coming out? I mean, the one that makes you wake up in the middle of the night vomiting blood in a uh, <laughs> Hillary. <laughs> I mean... So, so not to... Okay. Like, equate the two by any means, but okay. this just happens to be in the next line on my notes, so it, it, we're going to go there for a second. <laughs> uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York City... Okay. Mayor de Blasio, good guy, 
or not. Crook, perhaps. Good. Uh, thinks, <laughs> thinks there will be no bang for Staten Island's bucks once he launches a $2 million vasectomy plan to sterilize the male deer this fall. What? <laughs> what? Uh, so who's the lucky sap who's, who gets to, like, tackle these deer and... What? He's going to spend $2 million. $2 million. Instead of... Shooting, shooting them. them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. This, um, very likely, um, a symptom of being liberal. That is... Wow. <clears throat> the city's vasectomy only deer policy would be a nationwide first. The mayor yeah, said it, it was chosen yes, in part because the procedure is easy to perform on male deer. <laughs> um Dr. Paul Curtis, a Cornell University deer expert, said this proposal has no chance of success whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> in re- oh. every 30 days or so for up to six months right into March that's when the females are in heat apparently the hot to trot does could attract bucks from near and far for many more months including still potent potential mates swimming over from New Jersey that of course would be the exact opposite of the city's goal which is to reduce Staten Island's deer population a 2014 survey found 760 deer in the borough, up from 24 in 2008. Six years later, <laughs> it's gone up considerably. But an influx of horny New Jersey deer is the least of the plan's problems, hey, according to experts. Hey, baby, come here. I won't even get to that point, Curtis said, because I think it would be extremely difficult to get even 50% of the bucks in order to sterilize them. Jersey Shore deer. Even a few intact bucks can keep the herd growing exponentially. Also, snipping bucks would be sterile, but still have a strong sex drive. So during an extended rutting season, there could be more perilous encounters with humans as the mad with lust bucks needlessly run about looking for mates. During the 2015 rut, a young buck busted through a strip mall door or store window on busy Forest Avenue and bled to death inside. Another trapped itself in a backyard above ground pool in Annandale. Bucks gored family pets, careened into highway traffic, and collided with city buses, police cars, and private vehicles all across the island. The city's vasectomy-only deer policy would be a nationwide first. The mayor said it was chosen because it's easy to perform on male deer. That's absolutely false, said Curtis, the doctor from Cornell, who has done buck vasectomies. Quote, they do not respond well to the immobilization drugs. It is far more stressful on the animals. Not quite stressful as shooting them, but... Uh, five towns and villages across the country are experimenting with surgical doe sterilization, mainly by removing their ovaries, to control free-ranging deer. Shoot them. Chemical contraceptives are ineffective for more than a year or two, and culling, using archers and sharpshooters to kill a portion of the herd, is the only other alternative. 
Large drop nets and clover traps can typically capture the very wary, the least wary animals, quote, but then they get trap shy. They no, I think it's smart. a great idea. I think, you know what? I think they should raise taxes in New York City to help pay for this. You know, rather than two thousand or $2 million, they should make it, I don't know, $15, $20 million because not only, I mean, if you're going to, uh, uh, do sterilize them like that i think you should also um you know they should be able to spend some time in a spa maybe get a nice massage get something good out of the deal rather than just um pain down under uh you know if you're really concerned about the uh, standard of living for these deer um oh wait i'm not yeah (laughs) yeah no i i like it I, i think it's a great idea yeah i think they should do more of that Moving on to Oregon. No, no, I don't want to move on. I want to talk more about this because I think that that's a great idea. You know, um, you could do it on deer. You could... uh, Rats. I mean, you could get rid of rats that way. I mean, there's millions of rats. Uh, Give a rat vasectomies. That would be great. And I suppose it wouldn't take so long. Think of the jobs that would be created. The jobs. I mean... We are creating a whole new. I mean, if uh, this 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 could this could this could work, you know, because rats are killed every day, needlessly killed every single day by traps, and rats rats are people too, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, Wait, they are. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. They have feelings, and I this great idea. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Yeah. Okay, you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. Moving on. I mean, if there if there are legitimately people who agree <laughs> with this, I don't know what to say. I just <laughs> wish them best in life because life is going to be hard for these idiots. I'm. Did I say idiots? Well, okay. Here's here's the thought. If they're afraid of of people going out and shooting these deer. Don't they have extremely highly well-trained cops, air quotes, with a highly trained, to shoot? Shouldn't they, couldn't they go practice, do some like urban warfare with these things and get these animals off? It's great for them. Kill two birds with one stone. These guys get to practice their stealthy tactical skills. But (laughs) And they get to shoot. Did you know in the city of New York that the cops there... um, at least, I don't know if it's changed yet, but they they were renowned for not hitting what they were aiming at when they were shooting. <laughs> renowned? <laughs> yeah. And the reason why is that uh, the weapons that they were given, the service pistols that they were given, mm-hmm. the, uh, <clears throat> um, I don't know, the administration required them to have really long and um, uh, heavy trigger pulls. Um, so they wouldn't accidentally shoot something? Yeah, so like 16-pound trigger pulls on their Glocks. And if you've ever fired a weapon, a 16-pound trigger pull, even a 12-pound trigger pull, that's uh, that's like uh, firing a, um, a revolver, uh, a double-action revolver without cocking, without cocking it. it first? It, yeah, I mean, it's even more than that. And um, <clears throat> because... Well, the same people that thought up uh, let's um, give 
vasectomies to deer probably thought that one up. <laughs> More power to you, you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, go live in New York City. There'll be fewer people living out here, which is good. So, I'm happy. Is that okay. what we call it? Or just, I mean, do what they do around here uh, in town. Use bow and arrow. You know, people can get a permit for it and, you know. You've heard of global warming, correct? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Climate change, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the Portland Public School Board, based in Portland, Oregon, unanimously. What does that mean? Unanimous? All of them? All of them. Passed a resolution Tuesday. To remove from classrooms any materials that, quote, cast doubt on whether climate change is occurring. The resolution requires that textbooks and other classroom materials present climate change as fact and that it is caused by the activity of human beings. According to the Tribune... But this is Portland, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, they breed them there like they do in New York City. <laughs> The resolution also called for the implementation of, quote, curriculum and educational opportunities that address climate change and climate justice in all Portland public schools. <coughs> Gabby Lemieux, a high school student in the district, expressed support for the resolution in board testimony. Quote, it is unacceptable that we have textbooks in our schools that spread doubt about the human causes and urgency and this was a of this crisis. This was a student? Yeah. Why are you asking the student? Climate education is not a niche or a specialization. It is the minimum requirement for my generation to be successful in our changing world. You know nothing. You're a... <sighs> Former Portland teacher Bill Bigelow told the board, quote, A lot of the text materials are kind of thick with the language of doubt, and absolutely, and obviously, the science says otherwise, adding, We don't want kids in Portland learning material courtesy of the fossil fuel industry. Right? The resolution was introduced by board member Mike Rosen, who also leads a project called NW Eco Literacy Collaborative, an initiative that focuses on the way climate change is presented in school curriculums. Rosen said he has stepped aside from the project to work part-time for the Audubon Society of Portland due to his role on the school board. And this is what our kids are being taught. They're not being allowed to see an actual scientific discussion, which has to prove itself. Science has to be proven and has to be repeatable. And it has to be falsified. Right. <laughs> yeah. Portland can't. for you. This is the David Allen Show. <laughs> giving you the news you care about. I don't care about the... I. <laughs> oh, abandon all hope you who enter here. Let's... Let's listen to some music. <laughs> Something happy. DavidAllenShow.com.
This is the David Allen Show. DavidAllenShow.com. We're on Facebook. On Facebook. 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 At David Allen Show. I'm doing iTunes. better now. Oh, good. Did you get a breather? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Woo. Such a difference. <sighs> yeah. Just had to step away from the mic for a bit. Recuperate. Put the gun down. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, I used to uh, listen to Hall and Oaks when I was in uh, high school. I liked them a lot. Yeah? Yeah. And, uh... Did you want me to, um, like, say how sorry I am for that, or... No, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, but, I mean, they had really good music. Um, they were more kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of soul or, uh... Blue-eyed soul, I think they called. Yeah, they called it. Anyways, <clears throat> Salon. Ooh, yeah, she's a man eater. Yeah. Now Daryl Hall, he was the tall drink of water with the mustache and blonde. Oh, no, oh, but always the blondie. There you go. Not mm-hmm. the short one. <clears throat> yeah. Not the swarthy. <laughs> huh? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you used swarthy in a sentence? <laughs> yes. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there was. Ever. Perhaps not. I don't know if you... Uh, did you see the article? Salon Magazine interviewed him. Mm-mm. Oh, it's really good. Was he getting his hair done at the time? No. Who? He? No. Oh, I get it. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so they were asking him questions and whatnot, and they, uh, they got to this question. They said, one of the current debates... This is a Salon article asking Daryl Hall... One of the current debates is over cultural appropriation. The idea that white people should not appropriate the culture of ethnic and racial minorities. I know that you don't like the term blue-eyed soul. Have you followed this conversation? That's what Daryl Hall says. Are you trying to say that I don't own the style of music that I grew up with and sing? I grew up with this music. It's not about being black or white. That is the most naive attitude I've ever heard in my life. That is so far in the past, I hope, for everyone's sake. It isn't even an issue to discuss. The music that you listened to when you grew up is your music. It has nothing to do with cultural appropriation. Salon article. I agree with you entirely because... Daryl Hall. I'm glad that you do because anyone who says otherwise should shut the blank up. Hmm. Well, this uh, salon article, well, this entire critique is coming back. Daryl Hall, I'm sorry to hear it. Who is making these critiques? Who do they write for? What are their credentials to give an opinion like that? Who are they? Salon, much of it is academic. Daryl Hall, well, then they should go back to school. Academia? Now, that's a hotbed of idiocy. Huh? <laughs> They continued on. Anyone who knows, or this Salon article, anyone who knows about music, about culture in general, understands that everything is much more natural. Everything is a mixture. Daryl Hall, we live in America. That's our entire culture. Our culture is a blend. It isn't split up into groups. Anyone who says otherwise is a fool, worse than a fool, a dangerous fool. Wow. Yeah. Well, no, he, I, he obviously is just stupid. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. It's just... Uh, white privilege speaking here, <clears throat> right? Right? Mm-hmm. 
But it's one of those things that was very refreshing to have somebody who doesn't care. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what are you going to do? What are you going to do to him? How are you going to harm him? <clears throat> He's pointing out idiots as idiots. And I'm sorry. That's what they are. That's what they are. <clears throat> They're not ignorant. They're just dumb. Yeah. Well, but yeah. So it's nice every so often to um, have somebody that typically you wouldn't expect mm-hmm. common sense to come flowing from their lips. Uh, but this time it did. So 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 <clears throat> well, hold on. Okay. This is just fun. Keep me hanging. Okay. Because she's a man-eater? Yes. Whoa, whoa, here mm-hmm. she... Okay. Make it stop. The Huffington Post has uncovered a fact that thousands of biblical scholars and theologians have missed. So, you've heard of the Huffington Post, yeah? They're a pretty, pretty, like, scholarly, like... Hacks? <laughs> Sorry. Like, deep-thinking body of... Hacks? Um, um, theologians, yeah? No. Oh, oh, hack. You said hack. Hacks. Sorry, yeah. mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, apparently, th- what they found is Jesus was the first transgender man. Oh, really? They mm-hmm. had those surgeries mm-hmm. back to the Huffpo writer ago. Susan DeWitt Hall. Quote The current flap in conservative Christian circles about bathroom excess is a bit baffling. She claims that God created transgenders in Genesis after all. But even worse are, quote, Christians who claim to take the Bible literally. Of course, they don't actually do that, she says. They impose their own filters on stories and phrases to fit their particular ideology. Uh huh. That's not what Hall is doing when she claims Jesus was a transgender. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> the Bible tells us that Eve was the first example of human cloning, as well as the first transgender woman. See, God reached into Adam, pulled out a bit of rib bone, and grew Eve from that XY DNA into Adam's companion. She was created genetically male and yet transformed into woman. (laughs) Proof! Poof! Transgenders were created. Rib bones are all that determine gender. By Hall's logic, if Mary was a transgender, then of course, Jesus was too. The Holy Spirit comes upon the second Eve, and the child takes flesh from her and is born with XX chromosome pairing, born genetically female and yet transformed into man. The author also claims that, quote, we don't have a black and white God. Creation is so full of color and variation that it's incomprehensible how we Christians struggle to pare him down to the limited palette of our individual expectations. When she tries to make the biblical narrative fit her transgender agenda, that's not pairing the workings of God to her own expectations. Only conservative Christians do that. Suzanne Hall, who lives with her wife in Massachusetts, is also the author of a children's book, Rumple Pimple. It's an innocent story of a dog and his girl and her two moms. The Huffington Post seems bent on convincing people that Jesus was anything but straight. One writer suggested that Jesus should be portrayed as a gay icon to support the homosexual movement. Another article portrayed a series of art pieces depicting gay Jesus. Hall did some research, and the word trans means across, beyond, through, and changing thoroughly. The Bible is the most trans book of them all. It has been changed quite thoroughly by the left. Ooh. 
Sorry, that was an absolute waste of time. Yeah, kind of. But, again, this is what our millennials get their news from. And whether they read that drivel or not, they're still being brainwashed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't heard that one. That one is, uh, in that one special. Oh, who or who would have thought that one up, huh? Oh, who, oh, who could have done that? And Ben Ben Monroe on the Twitter, at Darth Wayne, I think I'm honestly starting to hate at DWS tweets more than at real Donald Trump. Wake up, Democrats. Hashtag down with Debbie. Hashtag drop out Hillary. Hashtag feel the burn. Voters supporting Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders have united against a common enemy they've deemed more detrimental to their candidate's success than even rival Hillary. Democratic National Chairwoman, the Florida lawmaker, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Blabbermouth was trying to come out of my mouth there. For Sanders supporters, Wasserman Schultz represents everything they dislike about the party's policies. For example, they believe that former Secretary of State Clinton's victories are attributable to the exclusion of independent voters and the, quote, rigged policy of superdelegates. Now, it's only rigged if it goes against them. If it goes in their favor, it's the best system ever. That's a good point. That's a good point. Back in February, Schultz told CNN host Jake Tapper, quote, unpledged delegates exist really to make sure that party leaders and elected officials don't have to be in a position where they're running against grassroots activists. Remember that? We had that clip. Oh, yeah. And then she went in the next breath, said, and we uh, we want all these people at the convention. We have a diverse convention. We want them all there. But these super delegates exist, so we don't have to deal with them. Apparently, she's gone. I mean, she's out. Really? Or 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 close? Like there's um, talk that out on the door th- this week the she door? might be gone. Well, who are they going to put in? Hey, how about? Uh, I don't know. Not yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who? Anthony Weiner? <laughs> no, uh, uh, Blasio. You know. Oh yeah, so yeah. Can neuter some deer. Yeah, neuter some deer. Huh. You know, then you get the PETA people behind them, and that's a huge voting block. <laughs> so. Huge, huh? Yeah, huge. That was kind of a, a bold statement. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brother. Uh, that's interesting if they remove her now. That... But see, this is how Obama got in. He got in in a rigged system. I mean, the Illuminati decided well, that. Well, that, yes. But, I mean, Hillary was Bernie of 2008. That's true. Now, she wasn't the outsider that he claims to be. Yeah. But she was in the position of never having a chance and yet still trying. Now, I think that Bernie has more of a chance than she ever did, mm-hmm. without question. But for her to claim on CNN that she is it, done, settled. Well, she, I mean, I think she kind of Bernie's, is. Bernie's, I mean, she's Bernie's got the gaze. That's <laughs> nice. Bernie has the homosexual group. At least the twelve that were in that video. <laughs> He's got Which twelve. Might be a lot He's of got them. twelve gays. Could be most of them. He's not going to get any more because they don't reproduce. So, uh, <clears throat> what? 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 
What? What? Well <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> no, um, I don't know why they why they're getting so. I mean, a forward-thinking leftist. <laughs> what? What's that? Well, no, I mean, I think they are far more forward-thinking than Republicans because Republicans typically, their main focus is on their job and their family yeah. and stuff, and politics isn't a religion. Mm-hmm. So a forward-thinking leftist or progressive, I would think, would want Donald Trump as <clears throat> as president because basically they got the Supreme Court wrapped up. I mean, who... Whoever, whoever Donald Trump is going to, uh, if he gets elected, mm-hmm. whoever he's going to appoint to the Supreme Court is not going to be. We know it doesn't matter who. Uh, if if you're a Democrat uh, president, you can get a, a a a huge liberal through. But if you're a Republican, that doesn't mean that you're going to get a conservative through. Look at Bush. Look at Clinton. Look at, I mean, um, Reagan. Look at both Bushes. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> the numbskulls that they've gotten through, uh, all of them have turned except for Scalia and Thomas, um, but the rest have stabbed everybody in the back, quote unquote. I think Hillary's done it for real. Yeah. So, so if you're a if you're a, a leftist progressive, mm-hmm. everything is going your way. So why not just go through the motions, let Trump win, and if you really think that he's this kind of loose cannon like Jesse the Body Ventura who's going to destroy the Republican Party, the worst thing you could do was uh, keep him from getting into the White House, you know? Because whatever happens, they can blame it on him. Absolutely, exactly. Now, whatever happens, it'll be 12 years of Democrats. That's exactly the logic that I have thought about for Obama, not finishing his term, mm-hmm. whichever one it is. Mm-hmm. Now, for whatever reason, you know, obviously we don't want anyone to um, to get killed or injured. But if for some reason he wasn't able to finish out his full term if he had to save the kids or something he had to move you know mother-in-law got ill there had to be something <laughs> that for some reason he had to give up and let biden be the pres for he a few months the kids had a hard time in the school they need to go <laughs> At to, this move point, to another yeah. school but can you imagine the legacy that he would have because he could live out the rest of his days as the best president ever because he wasn't able to actually get everything through that he wanted to. He yeah. had to sacrifice. And because of that, he would have. I mean, look look at the track record for seven years, how it's been. He would have been able to do it. But he just is not going to. It's just it wouldn't work out. And so it's just like if Trump ever gets out somehow without being beat, he will be the next president, at least in the history books. Yep. Because he will claim, I was winning, I was it, this was the one, but I had to go save somebody. Mm-hmm. I had to go save this country. I had to go save this part of something. I had to go do something that was more pressing and had to happen. I couldn't, didn't have a choice. I didn't get beat because I was winning. Yeah. It's a legacy. He's story. not a loser. Right. He's huge. He's huge, not a loser. <clears throat> um, But I think the 
Illuminati have uh, bigger plans. And I use that term loosely. But, you know, the powers of the, the big money or other mm-hmm. powers behind the power. 52 seconds of DSW or DWS. Maybe. What's that? Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Oh, I'm sorry. I know. I'm sorry that it's just a spinning circle. Hello, hello, hello. Maybe it's better this way. <laughs> oh, oh, no, this is it. <laughs> 52 seconds of that. Oh. Oh. Yeah, never mind. Thanks a lot, CNN Politics. <sighs> Democratic National Committee Chairwoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz is on increasingly thin ice as she risks losing key support to stay in her job. Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill, one of Hillary's leading supporters on Capitol Hill, told CNN Wednesday that Wasserman Schultz is seen by supporters of Bernie Sanders as, quote, part of the problem. She said the Florida congresswoman is playing a starring role ahead of the Democratic National Convention in July, which is unusual for someone in her position. Ms. McCaskill says, I think this will all get worked out over time. The role of the DNC chair is always a supportive role, not a starring role. And I think that because of what has occurred, it's hard for her to avoid a starring role. This is the David Allen Show. DavidAllenShow.com
my dreams come true on the David Allen Show. Or maybe we make yours come true. Yeah, of course we do. <clears throat> I listened to a, uh, a podcast this last week. It had uh, Opal Singleton on. She has a website called millionkids.org. And uh, she wrote this book, Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers. And in this interview, she makes a point that the, the kids growing up now never grew up without the Internet or without the capacity to do all that 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 happens on the Internet, um, which is completely different than the way we grew up. And uh, everything's at their fingertips. So uh, when I was in school, college, I had to write a paper. You had to go to the library? You had to go to the library. <laughs> you had to use the Dewey Decimal System. You had to use Microfish in order to find uh, maybe articles about something. Now, Microfish, is that those little tiny minnows that swim around? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's all. Yep. And uh, they're cheddar-flavored, so they're they're great. Um, <clears throat> and, but anyways, because of this- They're micro. They're, they're micro. They're, they taste great. Last filling. Um, <laughs> anyway, so she was talking about the um, that parents are allowing things into their homes that they would never allow through the through the front door. Um, <clears throat> and she gave an example of something that is becoming much, much more common with um, uh, young boys. Not even young girls, but young boys. She said every year uh, there's uh, they have this protocol on the Internet, and it's I, I don't know how the filter works or where, it's, where it originates, but any time an email goes out and it has a, has a picture file on it, <clears throat> It is scanned, and if there's pornography, child pornography on it, it uh, it takes it, records it. Right. That is if you use one of the services, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She said, la- like, last year there was 154 million, and 30-some million of them were um, not from pedophiles passing from one person to another, but young teenagers sending them out to another person so basically sending a naked picture of themselves to somebody else yeah like a selfie (laughs) wow and she said one of the things that that happens is that um what she call it the dark web the underbelly of the internet where pedophiles and drug dealers and uh, cartels and terrorists use um, they have these pedophile rings that share child pornography back and forth. And what um, they have new ways of grooming young boys, uh, pedophiles do. And one thing that they do is when they play, uh, uh, what's a Warcraft game? Um, World of Warcraft. Oh, yeah. Um, 
when they play online, say a 12-year-old boy is playing online, a pedophile will introduce themselves to this young boy as a young girl, like maybe 12. Say her name is Susie, for instance. And they'll start this conversation with this boy, and they'll be talking back and forth, and they'll be playing this game back and forth. And before you know it, this boy is thinking, this is awesome. There's this girl who likes what I like. And this is incredible. And so they have these conversations and they do stuff together. And, before, you know, when he gets home from school, the first thing he thinks about is going to go and play play these games with Susie and get to know Susie. And it's a wonderful thing. Well, then before you know it, Susie, who isn't Susie, is actually a pedophile, will send him a naked picture of a young girl. And then she'll say, well, send me a picture of a naked selfie of you. And if the boy is, you know, says no, she'll leave it, let it go, but then it'll continually ask and ask and ask. And before you know it, for many of the young men, they will just do it because this is a little girl, this is a young lady, hormones are raging, and they figure, what the heck? And they send it to this pedophile. Well, the minute that happens, what the pedophile will do is he'll share it with all of his pedophile, um, I don't know, colleagues, buddies, <clears throat> buddies, and within a week, this kid, because they they have his IP address, will start getting email uh, emails and uh, social media messages from pedophiles all around the world, asking for selfies. And that's not all they'll do. They will threaten him. They will tell him, you know, if you don't give me more of these, I'm going to put these on Facebook and your life is over. Or um, I'm, I know where you live. I'm going to come to your house and kill your family. I'm going to do all these things. And since they already have this, this young boy caught up in a shameful act, and if this young boy does not have a good relationship with his parents, <clears throat> it'll be really easy to continue on with this, and it'll go from one thing to the next and uh, just absolutely abuse uh, these young men. And typically, you think it's a young woman thing, but it's not. It's not always that way. <clears throat> And she also said that when it comes to, to young boys and young girls, young boys are different than young girls. Young boys, when they are abused, that they go, they go silent. They go quiet. They go deep. They don't talk about it. He gave an example, or she gave an example of, um, oh, what was it? It was a recent one of, I think it was a Catholic priest, uh, some young guy, who, well, some guy who was in his 30s, it took him 20 years before he could actually tell that this priest had abused him. And that's typically how guys are. But young ladies are different. They tend to act up or get emotional and, and whatnot, but guys aren't like that. And so it makes it even more difficult to find out whether or not a young man has been abused. <clears throat> and Because they just don't talk about it. Because they don't talk about it. Because there's this there's this atmosphere of absolute shame, mm -hmm. and um, I mean, just and who do you talk to? And then there's also fear. Uh, you know, what's going to happen if people find out that I did this? They don't they don't look at it that 
that you you're the one you're the victim here. Mm-hmm. They look at it as they've actually participated, in right. it and it was their idea. <clears throat> and so, um, her her point is is that you have to be extremely vigilant to allow that stuff into your into your families, into your house. Um, you have to be extremely vigilant to let your kids have access to to the different. Uh, uh, social media that they have out here. Because she listed, I don't know, six or eight of them that I had never heard before. And it's not Facebook. It, I mean, there. I have no idea what these what these social media platforms are. But she said if you ask any kid, they would know what those are, and they mm-hmm. use them all the time. <clears throat> I'm thankful that, uh, that I didn't grow up in this type of environment because it would have been... Oh, yeah, catastrophic for me. Well, growing up, the, you know, the for us, the net was, was you know, it, it kind of came to its own <laughs> in my teenage to young adult years. Is when mm-hmm. it really kind of began. Mm-hmm. And I remember the the panic almost from the the older crowd of the chat room idea. Mm-hmm. You go into these chat rooms because what else was there to do on the internet other than get in bulletin boards mm-hmm. and chat? Mm-hmm. That's what you did, and you had different color text and different fonts and all this crap. That's what you did, and but there was a big push to not get into those, not get into chat rooms or these. You don't don't go to a secret private room with this person because they're going to get you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that we because everything is so. I mean. 10, 11-year-old kids, sometimes even younger, are having their own cell phone yeah. right now that is a full-on computer. They're not having a thing that they can dial, you know, home and then it makes a phone call. No, it's a computer in their hand with a better resolution screen on it than the biggest big screen TV when I was a kid mm-hmm. by four or five times, not even close. And that's just how it was. And so we kind of came up, and there's an interesting article that I read this this week saying that my generation, the, let's see which age group it is. Like if you're born in the late 70s to 80s, I think. You, you know, we're the only generation that grew up without, that started without technology as it is today. And is now heavily invested in the technology that there is today. And it's kind of a fascinating look at, you know, where we are and what what it's been for us, like 80s children. I mean, I remember, I think I was 15 or 16 when our family got the first cell phone. Mm-hmm. And that was a big deal. I mean, it was a big, a big purchase. And it wasn't was something it a, was that was it a, light. Was it the bag one? No, no, we didn't oh. do that. It, it was after the bag phone. And I remember that was a big deal. And we had some friends that their parents had a bag phone. It's the coolest thing in the world. Not cool. Well, I had one. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, they are so awesome. So sweet. <laughs> you know, so it over here, why 80s babies are different was the the headline 
Anyone born in the late 70s or early 80s probably has memories of huddling around a bulky desktop with five or more friends to play Oregon Trail. Or as everyone else who's wrong says it. Oregon. <laughs> Oregon Trail. Sorry. This article, titled The Oregon Trail Generation Life Before and After You know when everybody says it that tech. way, then that's the right way of saying it. Sorry. <laughs> everyone that's not from there. <laughs> everyone that doesn't know better. Life Before and After Mainstream Tech, and originally featured on Social Media Week, discusses what life was like for that generation who grew up at the cusp of modern technology. We are an enigma, those of us born at the tail end of the 70s and the start of the 80s. Some of the generational experts lazily glob us on to Gen X, and others just shove us over to the millennials they love to hate. No one really gets us or knows where we belong. We've been called Generation Catalano, Exineals, and the Lucky Ones. But no name has really stuck for this strange micro-generation that has both a healthy portion of Gen X grunge cynicism and a dash of the unbridled optimism of millennials. A big part of that, of what makes us the square peg in the round hole of named generations, is our strange relationship with technology and the internet. We came of age just as the very essence of communication was experiencing a seismic shift, and, it, and it's given us a unique perspective that's half analog, old age school, old school, and half digital new school. If you can distinctly recall the excitement of walking into your weekly computer lab session and seeing a room full of Apple IIe's displaying the start screen of Oregon Trail, you're a member of this nameless generation. We were the first group of kids who grew up with household computers, but still novel enough to elicit confusion and wonder. Gen X individuals were already fully formed teens or young adults when computers became mainstream, and millennials can't even remember a time before them. But when we were first placed, when we first placed our sticky little fingers on a primitive Mac, we were elementary school kids whose brains were curious sponges. We learned how to use these impressive machines at a time when average middle-class families were just starting to be able to afford to buy their own massive desktops. This made us the first children to grow up figuring it out, as opposed to having an innate understanding of new tech the way millennials did, or feeling slightly alienated from it the way Gen X did. Did you come home from middle school and head straight to AOL, praying all the time that you'd hear those magic words? You got mail. I've wait after waiting for the painfully slow dial-up internet to connect. If so, then yes, you are a member of the Oregon Trail generation. And you are definitely part of this generation if you hopped in and out of sketchy chat rooms, asking others their ASL. Precisely at the time that you were becoming obsessed with celebrities, music, and the opposite sex, you magically had access to the internet, a thing that few normal people even partially grasped the power of at the time. We were the first group of high school kids to do research for papers, both online and in an old-fashioned card catalog, which many millennials have never even heard of, by the way. Yeah. Because we had one foot in the traditional ways of yore and one foot in the digital information age. We appreciate both in a way that other generations don't. We can quickly turn curmudgeonly in the face of teens who've never written a letter, but we're glued to our smartphones just like they are. Those born in the late 70s and early 80s were the last group to have a childhood devoid of all technology that makes childhood and adolescence today pretty much the worst thing imaginable. 
We were the last gasp at a time before sexting, Facebook shaming, and a constant communication. We used payphones. We showed up at each other's houses without warning. We even spoke to our friend's parents before we got to speak to them. And we had to wait at least an hour to see any photos we'd taken. And for the group of kids just a little younger than us, the whole world changed. And that's not an exaggeration. In fact, it's possible that you had a completely different childhood experience than a sibling just five years your junior, which is pretty much mind-blowing. Thanks to the evil genius of Sean Parker, you know him? Most of us were in college in the heyday of Napster and spent many a night using the university's communal ethernet to pillage our friends' music libraries at breakneck speeds. With mouths agape at having downloaded the entire Or album in, an, in under five seconds, we built our music libraries faster than any other dorm-dwelling generation in history. We were the first to experience the beauty of sharing and downloading mass amounts of music faster than you can say third-eye blind, but made the adoption of MP3 players and music streaming apps perfectly natural. Yet we still distinctly remember buying cassette singles, joining those scamtastic CD clubs, and recording songs onto tapes from the radio. The very nature of buying and listening to music changed completely within the first 20 years of our lives. The importance of going through some of life's toughest years without the toxic intrusion of social media really can't be overstated. MySpace was born in 2003, and Facebook became available to all college students in 2004. So if you were born in 1981-82, for example, you were literally the last graduating class to finish college without social media being a part of the experience. When we got together with our fellow Oregon Trail generation friends, we frequently discussed how insanely glad we are that we escaped the middle school, high school, and college years before social media took over and made an already challenging life stage exponentially more hellish. We all talked crazy amounts of crap each other about each other, took pictures of ourselves and our friends doing shockingly inappropriate things, and spread rumors like it was our jobs. But we, were just ne but we just never had to worry about any of it ending up in a place where everyone and their moms, literally, could see it a hot second after it happened. But unlike our older Gen X siblings, we were still young and dumb enough to get really into MySpace and Facebook in its first few years. So we understand what it feels like to overshare on social media and stalk a new crush page. Time after time, we late 70s and early 80s babies were on the cusp of changes that essentially transformed modern life, for better or worse. It shaped who we are and how we relate to the world. That written by Anna Garvey. I remember buying my first computer it was a 286 um <clears throat> i spent like two thousand dollars i think i had to spend an extra Man, uh, 1950s dollars that's a lot <laughs> i had to um i could have bought it without a hard drive well because you didn't save right no you no. didn't because mm -hmm. you had the uh, five and a half inch floppy versus the, or the five inch versus the three and a half inch. Mm -hmm. And later on, before I graduated, I remember in, in college I was at, in the uh, IT department and they had magazines, computer mag magazines from like the late eighties, early nineties. And I was scanning through it. This was the mid nineties. And 
um, I was looking in the um, the classifieds or the advertisements, and there was a ten megabyte, ten megabyte hard drive. Oh, it's massive for three thousand dollars. <laughs> ten megabyte hard drive <laughs> for three thousand dollars. <throat> Isn't that? <laughs> Boy, things have changed. <laughs> um, yeah, just today I purchased four 64 gigabyte cards for a video project. Four. And they, I gave them, they're no bigger than a quarter mm. <laughs> each. <laughs> yeah. Times have changed. Oh my goodness! I I mean I remember before the quote unquote internet. If you wanted to go to a website or a bulletin board, you had to get you had to have the IP address in you. You had to get the phone number. Oh yeah yeah yeah. It it was your phone to that phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah. We had a group, our BBS group that we had, and I think once a month we would actually get together at a local pizza joint. <laughs> So we during the week, you know, periodically chat about online, and then we'd go out to pizza together. Weird. It, yeah. How things have changed, and just just like in 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 every situation, the more efficient something becomes, the less re, the less resilient it becomes. Mm-hmm. And I think that is exactly that that applies to this. Um, technology is good as long as you use it and it's not using you. And um, I don't for a second believe that this technology is inherently good for us. <clears throat> now, maybe it might feel good to us and maybe... It might make things easier, but since when has things been easier? Since when has has that ever been a good thing for us? Um, there are going to be repercussions that we will not feel until years, decades generations down the down the line if we're still here Mm -hmm. um this is fundamentally changing how a person thinks how a person lives this is so contrary to anything in history we don't have anything to compare this to and at a certain point we're going to look back and wish (laughs) <laughs> they were different. Yeah, I w- wish that <clears throat> this hadn't happened. Yeah. This is the David Allen Show. DavidAllenShow.com Six days ago, a Saudi paper... While the families of 9-11 victims called for the declassification of evidence that members of the Saudi monarchy helped fund the attacks, a Saudi newspaper turned the table. 
blaming the United States for the worst terrorist massacre on its soil. Legal, Saudi legal expert Khatib El Shamari, writing in the London-based Saudi daily Al Hayat on April 28, charged that the U.S. carried out the 9-11 attacks while placing blame on others, beginning with an Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, and then shifting to Saddam Hussein's Iraq, and now Saudi Arabia. Quote, the U.S. created in public opinion an obscure enemy, terrorism, which became what American presidents blamed for all their mistakes, he wrote. Shamari said the effort to release evidence of purported Saudi involvement in 9-11 is part of the standard U.S. policy of using archival documents as leverage against various countries. Quote, those who follow American policy see that it is built upon the principle of advanced planning and future probabilities. This is because it occasionally presents a certain topic to a country that it does not wish to bring up at that time, but that it is reserving in its archives as an ace to play at a later date in order to pressure that country. He charged that the Americans decided not to remove Saddam in the 1990s because they preferred to keep him as a bargaining chip with Gulf states. The article was published on the eve of visit President Obama's visit to Saudi Arabia in April. At the time, Congress was debating the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act, which would allow the families of victims and the Saudi and, and of the September 11 attacks to sue the Saudi government for damages. The Saudi financial threat in renewing is renewing a push to declassify 28 pages of the 838-page congressional report about the 9-11 attacks. The critical pages are locked in a secure basement room at the Capitol. A co-chair of the 9-11 inquiry, former Florida Senator Bob Graham, claims the classified pages show a link that goes all the way to the top of the Saudi government. Graham charges the Saudi government's funding of terrorist groups continues to this day. In his article, Shamari said there's proof that the U.S. government carried out 9-11. September is one of the winning cards in the American archives because all the wise people in the world who are experts on American policy and who analyze the images and the videos agree unanimously that what happened in the Twin Towers was a purely American action planned and carried out within the U.S. Echoing the charges of 9-11 truthers, in quotes, Shamari said, Proof of this is the sequence of continuous explosions that dramatically ripped through both buildings. Expert structural engineers demolished them with explosives, while the planes crashed into them only gave the green light for the detonation. They were not the reason for the collapse. He said the U.S. used 9-11 to launch a new age of global armament and charged the nature of the U.S., is that it cannot exist without an enemy. After World War II, he wrote, the U.S. created the Cold War and then, when it ended, began to see Muslims as their new enemy. This will never end until, accomplishes, until it accomplishes the goal it has set for itself, Shamari said of the U.S. Quote, so why not let these achievements be credited to the American administration, while insurance companies pay for the damages, whether domestic or foreign? This my dear Arab and Muslim, is the policy of the American archives. There's a bombshell for you. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, um, one thing I don't, maybe you can help me with this. One thing I don't get <clears throat> is, um, I mean, I believe that conspiracies happen all the time. 
I think what is more, um, not likely is not more common, is that there are agendas that are put into put into place, which is like-minded people doing certain things in certain directions, and a lot of times are compartmentalized so they don't all know what's going on. Versus a conspiracy, which would be like, you know, JFK and whatnot. <clears throat> um, when it comes to 911, I don't know what to think about that. Um, but I think most people who would, I, I know, not most. I know that there are a lot of people that would say that 911 happened, but they would also say that Sandy Hook did not happen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sandy Hook being the elementary school shooting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for the life of me, I don't get the logic on that one. What? On why people think that that did not happen. Because if the same type of people have no qualms at all of killing Two, three thousand people. Why would they have any qualms on uh, killing twenty six children, or however many thirty or whatever number it was? It seems to me that if you wanted to do that to instigate some kind of gun control or um, type of thing, you would wind somebody up, have them do it. But why would you fake it? Because to fake something like that. Um, exponentially increases the chance of it of it being found out. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I think from so the, what's stuff, the... the stuff that I've read about the Sandy Hook thing mm-hmm. is not maybe that it didn't happen, but that it surely didn't happen the way that it was reported and the way that the official story came out. And that all of this comes from... And the same thing with 9-11. Typically, the initial reporting is totally different than what they end up reporting the next couple of days and then for the future. But that's that's common in um in in a rapidly moving situation. Right. right, but when stories change like the guy that the medical examiner at Sandy Hook claiming that all of these kids were shot with a long gun, a rifle. Mhm. And yet they found the rifle in the trunk of the car. He had pistols on him. He didn't have a long gun on him. How does that jive with any fact? Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I don't know if kids died or not. To my mind, that's not the issue. Mm-hmm. The issue is the discrepancy in the stories going for, forward. Okay. Well, and, I'm I'm and, more I'm more take, talking from the point of view because I've seen stuff where that if nine eleven was conspiracy and they and they killed people, which is pretty clear, you can't fake that. But like. Like, I've seen things where, okay, this kid is supposedly dead, but I, I found a picture of mm-hmm. this kid right. somewhere yeah. else alive now. And when I see stuff like that, I think, you know, come on now. Uh, are, are you saying the same people that would instigate this would have a conscience to not kill children? I don't think they would have any <laughs> <hope> problem so. <laughs> killing as yeah. many kids to get their agenda. So why would they why would they hide a kid or change their identity or yeah. whatever? That to me is just absolute madness to think that way. Okay. That makes sense. But I can see your point. Um 
that things change and if people have different agenda if if this actually was something that was perpetrated mm-hmm. uh that this person was like a MK Ultra mind control person who was wound up and set off mm-hmm. uh butterflies <laughs> <Doo-doo>. <laughs> somewhere <laughs> over the rainbow that apparently is the song that gets used to activate people oh really mm-hmm. oh, that oh, and monarch butterflies really mm-hmm. <laughs> oh Wow. Hey, oh, you look different. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Huh? David, huh? are you activating? Ah! <laughs> Run! <coughs> sorry about that. You will be um, sorry. <laughs> there is a lot of early reporting around 9-11 that show, like, the, the guy that owned the World Trade Center 7. Mm-hmm. That building didn't get touched by an airplane, mm-hmm. and yet it imploded on itself like mm-hmm. a flawless demolition, mm-hmm. like a beautiful the way it was done. And one clip that aired early on and never was aired again was the owner talking about, "Yeah, we pulled it." That's talk of you demolish demoing a building. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. So the thing, the issue I have. Is if you prep the building to blow up and you did it, just say it. Mm-hmm. What's the point of no? It got so hot. This building that we built perfectly to spec got so hot from fire, from fire and damage from falling debris that it imploded perfectly in its own footprint. Perfect. I, Are you kidding? Uh, at free fall. <laughs> at free fall. Yeah. You can't physically do that without eliminating the structural supports correctly at the right time in the right order. Mm-hmm. I know there's a, um, there's a millionaire, uh, businessman. He's going to do this in Thailand. I saw that. Yeah. Like you run an airplane into a building to see what happens. Yeah. Fill it up mm-hmm. with fuel and, and, uh, <clears throat> and run it into it. Yeah. I, at the very least, at least in my opinion, at the very least, uh, the powers that be, even if you don't believe any of the conspiracy stuff, even if this was all a fluke, at the very least, the powers that be saw that and started salivating and going, oh, we can use this. Mm-hmm. This is great. Yeah. <clears throat> well, now, who owns That's the, the very minimum. Right. Who's the guy that bought the building? Goldstein, is that his name? I think. The guy that bought the towers. What? Both the twin towers. I don't know. Like a month prior. Oh. Had purchased them and insured them for an insane amount of money. Like, was it $2 billion each? Some ridiculous number. And because... That paid out well. <laughs> it was an act of... And insured them for terrorism. Ooh. Because there was an act of terrorism and there were two attacks, he was able to get... Man, I think it was up... Was it upwards of four billion dollar payout? Oh, he might he might have insured them for four billion each, and because there were two, there were two claims, but they settled for a man. It, it wasn't double, but it was it was billions of dollars. Huh. And the design for the new one was already done. Now that's not outrageous. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you would buy a building and have you know long term plan 
to maybe take it down and then put something else. That's not, to me, that's not abnormal, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I also don't deal in the billions of dollars of real estate either, so I... I mean, you, oh, you don't? I, I, no. I, I apparently don't think that way. Oh, well. Just, you know, I've heard some people say that, oh, I, I just can't believe that uh, our government could do stuff. Oh, yeah. Boy, I sure can. Yeah, me too. And I don't think it's a government. I mean, when people say government, they think, they think... The president was like on the phone telling them what to do. Yeah. Right. You, I mean, all of them are bought and paid for. Mm-hmm. And very few of them have a complete picture. I mean, yeah. all of them, it's their own little bit. And you have... I mean, it's the same way um, when you look at an army. Uh, when they invaded Kuwait... The uh, the fire team on the ground doing whatever they were doing had no idea what the big picture was. Yeah, they were told to to move this direction, to do this, to go there. This is your objective. You go do that. You know the the major uh, uh, the the lieutenant colonel of a battalion had no idea what the big picture necessarily was. So to think that a congressman or a senator or even the president is going to have the biggest picture. I mean, you have people that have wealth beyond measure. George. And power beyond measure. <clears throat> and John Galt. <laughs> <laughs> Who is John Galt? He was. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so I, at at the at the very least at the at the very least at least in my opinion i'm i'm basically agnostic when it comes to about 911 about uh in terms of an active government agent actually doing it mm-hmm. <clears throat> um i'm not agnostic I'm, I I tend to uh, uh, believe, you, you know, uh, the, in the in the news just this last week, uh, some guy was arrested. He he went and he bought a, a dummy IED from an FBI agent, an undercover FBI agent. That's a setup right there. Yeah, I mean, he's an agent provocateur right. who got him to do it. Now, <clears throat> I think absolutely our government could get people. Um, some Saudi people work them up, tell them it's a um, you know you're doing this for Allah, and coordinate the entire thing, but not actually pull the trigger. Encourage people, basically giving them the bomb or giving them the the thing, uh, the plans and whatnot to do what they did. Absolutely believe that that is that is possible. In order to have this 15-year war in the Middle East where who knows how many people have been killed and will continue on forever. I mean, I cannot believe that what had happened in Syria, Tunisia, um, Libya, Egypt, that that was just a, oh, boy, who knew? I can't believe that that happened. It, I, I'm I find shocked. It, I'm shocked. shocked. Shocked, I tell you, shocked. <laughs> I, I don't believe for a moment that that happened. So I believe that they have an agenda mm-hmm. in the Middle East and we might be able to look at it from a distance and go, well, maybe this is it or maybe that's it. 
But that wasn't a mistake. I don't think that they are that stupid to do what they've done. So so in the same way, when it comes to 911 and Afghanistan and Iraq and everything else, I think that there was an agenda going on. Yeah. I'm agnostic about the conspiracy. You mean... (laughs) Well, conspiracy alludes to... By conspiracy, I I would... What I define conspiracy is some CIA agents being told to... um, uh, To... uh, do some mind control or something else mm-hmm. on some Muslim students, figure out the plane, have them go. Define conspiracy. Definition of conspiracy. A secret agreement between two or more people to perform an unlawful act. Okay. Yeah. So, so conspiracy. Now, when people talk about... Minor that, they conspiracy. All, well, they always say conspiracy theory. Yeah. Well... Well, every okay. time there's a crime committed by more than one person, it's a conspiracy then, based sure. upon yeah. that definition. Yeah, you conspire together. That yeah. makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. There, uh, no, I could see I could see CIA agents looking the other way, mm-hmm. understanding, knowing what's going on, and well, not stopping there, it. There were war game, there were war game drills going on mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. There's typically um, two, two or four F-16 mm-hmm. fighter jets sitting ready armed and ready on the eastern seaboard they can get anywhere in what 10 minutes 15 minutes what i was told about those jets is that um when it happened when the attack happened that the pilots are trained based upon a cold war um protocol that when they are put on alert, they're supposed to immediately fly east. And they were trained to do that. That's what they always did. So when the fighter pilots got into the planes, they flew east. They flew 150 miles away. They flew east, and then they were told to come back, and then it was too late. Okay. Mm -hmm. Either way, why did they get shipped that way? I don't know. I mean, that seems like a stupid rule. Well, really, it, if you think about it, that's it, the dumbest thing in the world. Well, it was it was from the Cold War times when there would be um, was coming from Russia bombers coming from Russia. So they're yeah. going to get Russian bombers. <laughs> was that the theory? Well, every time they scramble, that's where they go. So these pilots are so dumb. They're drones. They're just robots. Well, I mean, is that the theory though? That that, they would I, be so ingrained they couldn't follow orders. They just get up and go do their usual. Well, thing. if they were told to go up. Uh, to an alert standing, whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but um, well, I, don't, I don't either. <laughs> I, I don't know if any of them had ever anticipated having to shoot down a civilian airliner either. I would hope not. Yeah. So, but that did, might they, not but have been. Secret on Service there. just shot a guy not with brandishing a weapon going to the White House just yeah, last but week. But they're trained to shoot those. They're not trained to. Well, these fighters should be trained to shoot. You get in a red zone air, airspace, a no-fly zone for like a shoot to kill. You don't. I don't think you have a choice. Well, now, I mean, I mean, since it happened, 
since since nine one one happened, everybody thinks differently now. You know. Yes, we all take our shoes off at the airport. Well, yeah, <laughs> Just the same. But whatever. I mean, you think you think yeah. of a possibility mm-hmm. whereas before that it it hadn't happened, mm-hmm. and only madmen. You know, right. and it, it, I, oh yeah. I'm with you. So I don't know. I don't know if that was just, um, I'm trying to think of if it was. Um, I just think it's from a Homeland Security who said that. Oh, oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that it is head in the sand mentality to think that it's absolutely what they said. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah. And yep. mainly because yep. when you have a huge list of actual yep. engineers that have looked at the data, the report, saying what, you know, the official report of what happened and the 9-11 Commission, that report. And basically, that report makes up, like, math that it it can work. Yeah, we speculate this. Based on no evidence and no fact, it cannot happen. And so you have people that... Uh, their job is building buildings. Their job is dealing with structures like this. And they're just refuting it flat out that it can't happen the way they did. So somehow the information that's out there, the official story is not logical, but it's put out as logic. And we, as the stupid slaves have to shut up and eat it. Now this is, now I'm going to play the devil's advocate right now, sort of a little bit. And that is, this is the only explanation that down the road, if I could see all top secret documents, this is the only alternative that I would accept. And that is, the CIA being the way the CIA is, um, has agents, operations, other things that are going on. And so they craft the story in such a way to draw people's attention from what they're doing. Oh, you bet. Or um or try to um minimize their incompetence. And so they craft this story to to try to uh show that it was strictly just some some Muslim terrorists and there was no um uh nothing from officially from the CIA actually happened. That would be the only reason why I would, if I could see it all, could could potentially say that is why they they created a story that was as flimsy as it is. But I but I don't I don't hold to that because I believe that there is a cabal behind the scenes that have an agenda and they're moving it towards a global government, and this is a wonderful way to do it. So, Speaking of that agenda that no one wants to talk about, or that will do things no matter what, mm-hmm. hold on, that's not going out everywhere. Ugh, looks like we're... Uh. For some reason, this is coming out in mono, and I don't know why. Hold on. Nope. <laughs> Sorry about the noise. Nope. Oh. It's the CIA. They caught on to us. 
Alan, run. I think I'm going to run. Uh, fine, we won't get the audio. However, maybe. You can't take us alive. Maybe. The men in black are here. New York's Department of Health is launching an all-out assault against mosquitoes. Ooh. Amid growing concern about the Zika virus. Mm, While assuring residents that the virus is not spreading in the city, it says local mosquitoes are spreading other diseases like the West Nile virus. Yes. Mm -hmm. With mosquito season upon us, the city is going to begin a three-day aerial bombardment of March, March, Marsh and other non-residential areas at some two dozen sites in the Bronx, Queens, State, Staten Island, and Brooklyn. Why don't they just give the uh, mosquitoes vasectomies? Oh, they could. Officials say they will use, quote, environmentally friendly larvicide to kill the infant mosquito larva. Or vasectomies. With protected... <laughs> With projected hot and damp weather, the mosquito population is expected to have huge growth this season. Residents we spoke to in Marine Park, Brooklyn, said they were concerned and relieved that the city is taking action. Good for you. Mike Nagar said his skeptic he's skeptical about how safe the chemicals are that will be sprayed. Standing beside his pregnant wife, Danielle Sikaleo. You could have said it anyways and we would have believed you. Chikaleo. Said he's concerned because the mosquito-borne Zika virus impacts pregnant women. Of course they have that. It is known to cause birth defects. It is not considered dangerous for most people. And so, we're just going to spray you. That's fine. Health officials note that there have been 78 cases of Zika reported in the city, but that all the patients have recovered. Oh, that's at the end of the story. Yeah, Yeah. but did it come from the city or did it come from somewhere else? It probably came from Puerto Rico. That's what it is. However, speaking of Zika... Okay. The Rio Olympics will top the London Games in one area. Uh, Guess. I'll give you two choices. Zika. Two guesses. Oh, well, no, that wasn't in Unplanned London. pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's related. <laughs> I'll give you an, I'll give you that's half a guess. I'll give you another. Condoms. Hey. About 450,000 condoms will be distributed during the Rio de Janeiro Olympics. Mm. Three times more than that of the London Games four years ago. Part of the reason was because 100,000 female condoms will be available for the first time. That's for all the transgenders. (laughs) (laughs) About 175,000 packets of lubricant are also being supplied. Are you kidding me? No. It's not clear if the increase is related to Brazil's outbreak of the Zika virus or the, the Associated Press asked the question of the IOC in an email on Friday, but did not receive immediate response. The Zika virus is carried by mosquitoes, but can only be transmitted sexually. <laughs> the virus is liked, linked to mic- microcephaly, a condition in which babies are born with undersized brains and skulls. The condoms will be distributed free from a clinic in the athlete's village or from vending machines. The village opens on July 24 with the Olympics opening on August 5. Wait a second. Do they have to pay for those condoms? In the vending machines, they probably do. What? Well, to 
They're, they're, they're free if you what? go. No, here, it, no, it's no, your pride. No, this isn't right. No, it's your pride. It's their no, right. If you don't care about your pride, you can go ask the lady for one. They'll give you one. No. But if you don't want no. people to know, you go buy them. That's wrong. You buy them. That's wrong. That's Nay. a human right. That's like water and air. And that, the news of the Olympics. And in the words of Harry Shearer, it's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Stinks just as bad. Well, there you go. All right. Moving on. The the Olympics, that's a... It's a movement, but that's... (laughs) The Olympics is a multinational, multi-culty event, correct? Very culty. Multi-culty, <laughs> multicultural. Well, May 23, no, we're a few days after that, the Obama administration signed a law on Friday that would remove allegedly offensive descriptors of minorities, such as referring to individuals as, quote, Spanish-speaking from all federal laws. The bill, H.R. 4238, amends the Department of Energy Organization Act and the Local Public Works Capital Development and Investment Act of 1976, which apparently defined minorities using uh, offensive terms. The terms that will be eliminated include Negro, Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican? That's like saying American. Puerto Rican, American Indian, apparently that's bad, Eskimo, Oriental, or Aleut, A-L-E-U-T. Yeah. Okay. From Alaska. Okay. Or American Indian is no. What do you sure, call them? Sure, that's eliminated. It's it's offensive. So um, what do you call them? Is a red sp- man, redskin. <laughs> yeah, redskin. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, the government will now use the more politically correct terminology: uh, Asian American, Native Hawaiian. A Pacific Islander. You're not Puerto Rican. You're a Pacific Islander. No, that's Atlantic. Af- what? Puerto Rico's in the Atlantic. Oh, well, what do we do? Whoa! Puerto Rican is in the approved list also. What? <laughs> Puerto Rico is in the eliminated list. And it's in the approved list. <laughs> wow. Are you kidding? Native American. That, that's approved. Or an Alaskan native. Although the bill eliminates many, quote, offensive words from the federal government, the major focus of the bill was to remove the word oriental. The bill was sponsored by Representative Grace Meng, Democrat of New York, and co-sponsored by all members of the the Congressional Asian (laughs) Pacific American Caucus. Asian Pacific American... Oh, my goodness. In a statement, Meng said, (laughs) Many Americans may not be aware that the word Oriental is derogatory, but it is an insulting term that needed to be removed from the books, and I am extremely pleased that my legislation to do that is now law of the land. Excellent. Apparently, a hero. Meng's a hero. (sighs) Ming's an oriental hero. <laughs> Ming. Mang. Ming. All right. You know who Glenn Beck, he's crazy. Hold on, I don't have time for that yet. Yes, I do. Glenn Beck kicked off his Monday radio show 
with a bold proclamation. He says pedophilia is next. The conservative commentate commentator's shocking prediction came in response to Hershey Park's oh. decision to allow its guests and employees to use whichever restroom coincides with their chosen gender identity. Last month, Target announced a similar policy in the name of inclusivity. And Target stock has kind of gone down a bit. If you don't stand up now, Beck insisted, I guarantee you the next stop on this train is pedophilia. Beck, who at the start of his show played 2004 audio of Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton, then a senator defending her view on traditional marriage, said the way transgender rights have overtaken mainstream American culture is, quote, not normal. Though the radio host's gay marriage... The radio host said gay marriage was pushed through by President Obama's administration. He said Americans would have accepted it within a few years regardless, but it was already on that path. But the push for transgender equality, Beck argued, is something entirely different. Transgender bathrooms have come out of nowhere and are being jammed down our throat. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, he said, the next stop on this train is pedophilia. I guarantee it. They will normalize it. Though it is not clear exactly why, in the weeks since Target announced its new gen transgender rule, as Beck noted, the company's stock has experienced a decline. Multiple factors, however, may be influencing the downturn. This, we have some more here. We will get back to it very shortly on the David Allen Show. Show, DavidAllenShow.com. This is episode 16 of this fine show. Month number four. I can't believe we've made it a whole month. A whole wow. month. <laughs> yeah, I know. Craziness. Who'd have thunk? I've never been so high. All right, so we were just talking about uh, Beck saying that he says that pedophilia is next. As being normalized. Yeah. Well, in Salon, we you reference Salon. Yeah. This from 2015, September 21. This is not new. This is what eight, nine, eight months ago, seven months ago. Okay. Headline: I am a pedophile, but oh, not yeah. a monster. Yeah. I'm attracted to children, but unwilling to act on it. Before judging me harshly, would you be willing to listen? No. Well, I, I read through this and I wanted to vomit. 
So that alone, this this person who his name he gave his name, so I'm gonna give it here. Okay, what's I'm his name? Todd Nickerson. He's a freelance graphic designer and illustrator and an aspiring author. He's also a moderator at the Virtuous Pedophiles Forum. What? He currently lives in Tennessee. If you have questions or comments, you can reach him at StarkRoth at Yahoo.com. StarkRoth, S-T-A-R-K-R-O-T-H at Yahoo.com. Virtuous Pedophiles is a forum he moderates. One of the lines in the story, the individuals who have the courage to come forward and lay claim to this affliction with the understanding that they only want to use their pedo powers for good. Wait be, a second. Should be commended, not hated or feared. Affliction. Did they just use the term affliction? Uh, yes. So why doesn't that apply to homosexuals? Well, because this is not culturally acceptable yet. Homosexuality is. You know, that's not a good answer. <laughs> <clears throat> you, he says, you can't imagine how difficult it is to tell people you're a pedophile, even a non-offending one. And even if those people are other pedos. Why would you do it? Hi, at a business luncheon. Hi, I'm, I'm Phil and I'm a pedophile. Oh, it just kind of slipped out. My face is red. <laughs> Why would you tell anybody? He says... Truly, the very concept of a pedophile who neither molests nor wants to molest children is often antithema to people's way of thinking. The long-held belief that pedophiles are destined to abuse kids is a tough one to overcome, yet many of us get just as upset as, if not more upset, than non-pedophiles who we read accounts of sexual abuse. Not only because we hate when one of the little people we love most suffers, but also because whenever yet another pedophile is arrested, it reinforces the reigning paradigm of the pedo as a ticking time bomb. For better or worse, mostly worse, we have this sexuality and unlike with most sexualities, there is no ethical way we can fully actualize our sexual longings. Our desires and feelings, if we are to remain upright, are doomed from the outset. Indeed, whereas the majority of crimes can be bounced back from, society doesn't extend a mulligan to molesters, as it shouldn't. I understand why, and that doesn't make the burden any lighter to bear particularly for those of us who have minimal or no attraction to adults. And for the pedos who are lucky enough to be able to form working relationships with adults, there are a new set of concerns. What if we have children? Will, it, will I be a threat to them? Can I ever share this fact with my spouse? Can I ever love and want her as, want her as much as I do a child? So please be understanding oh and my. supportive. It's really all we ask of you. Treat us like people with a massive handicap we must overcome, not as a monster. If we are going to make it in the world without offending, we need your help. Listening to me was a start. You know, in one sense, I... In a sense, I agree. But it... The way this person is saying it is like, um... This is who I am. Well, and earlier... And I can't change. But earlier on, he talks about uh, actually being molested as, as a kid. And that that's kind of where it started. So I appreciate that he built that at the beginning. But I hate this idea that it's a big support group where they get together and they 
cheer each other on. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean, <clears throat> but this is this is step one. So I I think Beck is correct. This it's going there. The thing the thing that bothers me about this is that he's not saying I struggle with lusting after sexually lusting after small children. Much like somebody who would say, you know, I struggle with wanting to take meth or I struggle with whatever, with pornography or I struggle with whatever. Because there's there's nothing wrong in a struggle. A struggle is a struggle. And you can't control that. That is that is your struggle. But to define yourself that way, <laughs> how how can you ever if you define yourself as a as a pedophile, you can never not be a pedophile because you've defined yourself that way. And that's the problem that I have with this, is that this is his definition, this is his identity. And that's not his identity. He thinks it is. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing that happens with, um, you know, transgender and homosexuals. Oh, hold on. Speaking of that. <clears throat> what? In MASH, one of America's longest-running TV shows. Oh, yeah. The beloved character Max Klinger dressed as a woman. Mm-hmm. Klinger hoped to get a so-called Section 8, which is a mental health discharge in the military. Everyone who watched the show when it ran in primetime understood that a man who thought he was a woman had a mental health <laughs> challenge. According to the script, not even Klinger himself really believed he was a woman. Today... We are confronted with the challenge of how to respond to individuals who truly believe their mental experience of gender does not match their biology. Thus, teen girls are being told that they must share locker rooms with people who are biologically male. We are told that we need to be inclusive. But where is the concern for the privacy and comfort of those who do not want to change clothes next to people who are objectively a different gender? A solution to the social aspect of this challenge would be for transgender individuals to use single-stall family restrooms and changing facilities. There are many people for whom these restrooms are helpful, including people with small children and individuals with special needs who require assistance from a family member. However, advocates for transgender people typically oppose this solution. They claim that this makes transgender individuals feel excluded and that inclusion requires people to use the restroom, locker room, or shower that is consistent with each person's gender identification. We are told that people who are uncomfortable with this should not discrim- should stop discriminating. Even if it made sense for the federal government to dictate bathroom usage, the decree issued recently by the Obama administration would have missed the mark. While making the claim of inclusiveness and compassion, it disregards safety and privacy concerns of many citizens and does nothing to acknowledge the real challenge that transgender individuals face. The claim is that one's mental experience determines the truth. If one feels like a woman, one must be a woman. Physiology and genetics do not matter, but one's mental experience does not determine truth. A non-controversial example is the Muller-Liar illusion. When viewing the two lines, one appears to be clearly longer than the other. 
even though the length of both lines is exactly the same. The feeling that one line is longer than the other is experienced, but this is misleading. So perception is not reality. Right. It is possible to have powerful and persistent feelings that are objectively false. Similarly, one's gender identity does not determine the truth. Gender is biologically determined. Surgery and hormones may change external appearances, but the genetic reality remains. In other mental health contexts, we readily accept that people's mental experiences may not reflect reality. People with anorexia, as we've talked in the past, believe they are fat despite being dangerously underweight. It would be cruel, not helpful, to agree with people who have anorexia that they are fat. People with depression often feel worthless. Yet we do not assure people with depression that they are in fact worthless. We help people with depression to recognize their worth. People with gender identities that do not match their biology should be treated with compassion and respect. They too are people of value. They are experiencing genuine pain and confusion. In Sweden, where most citizens are open and accepting of the belief that gender is physiological rather than biological, I think you referenced this, a 30-year longitudinal study has been completed. Individuals who underwent sex reassignment had a much higher suicide rate and were more frequently admitted for inpatient psychiatric treatment than the general population. Americans loved the Max Klinger character. We would have loved him even if he really struggled with gender dysphoria. One way we can love real people who are transgender is to provide restroom and locker room facilities that meet their privacy needs, all while respecting the privacy needs of others. But addressing privacy needs fails the, to address the mental health challenge. Thus, also critical is promoting mental health services and research to help those who do, not, who do indeed suffer. Quality, evidence-based therapy should be available. Assuming that personal experience is always truth is inconsistent with promoting mental health and creates larger societal problems. Claiming personal experience as truth does not provide healing for many with gender dysphoria. This written by Dr. Joseph Horton, a professor of psychology at Grove City College. Mm. <clears throat> so well uh, that sounds true ms ms lofgren ms i say that because it's ms uh zoe representative loey loey zoe lofgren democrat california <coughs> this is like representative u.s rep one of 435 people ah in the country sure this is what she had to say oh great this ought to be fun. Nope, not that. Nope, hold on. Oh. Sorry. All right, come on, Zoe. Let's get this thing right, huh? Come on, Zoe. Come on, Zoe. What do you have to say? You know, I don't usually call out witnesses, but here's what the written testimony says. This was... A house hearing, during a house hearing, um, of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Mm. Uh, she's discussing uh, Lady Gail Harriet, I believe is her name. 
That's who she's talking to and quoting here. And this is Mrs. Harriet. Mm -hmm. We are teaching young people a terrible lesson. And she's reading this now from a statement that this Harriet lady made already. I believe that I am a Russian princess. That doesn't make me a Russian princess, even if my friends and acquaintances are willing to indulge my fantasy. Nor am I a great horned owl, just because, as I have been told, I happen to share some personality traits with those feathered creatures. I've got to say, I found this rather offensive. And it, it says to me that the witness really doesn't know anything and probably has never met a transgender child who is going through, in almost every case, a very difficult experience uh, finding themselves. And I believe that the department's guidance will help uh, schools all over the United States in preventing the kind of violence and harassment that these transgender uh, kids uh, find uh, too often. So that's all I'm going to say on, on that. You know, I, I think it's very regrettable that that comment was put into the record, and I think it's uh, highly offensive. Now I'd like. So then she goes to move on to uh, address someone else. Well, Harriet, whatever her name is, Gail Harriet is sitting there at the table. The one who wrote that. Yeah, and okay. she wants to respond. To ask you a question. Mr. Knox. Well, could I comment on that, please? No, it's just my opinion. You I think your you'll opinion. find that many people find it very offensive that the Department of, of, of Education I think you're a thinks bigot, that lady. they can be, I think be um, ignorant tell schools bigot. all across the I country. I think you are an ignorant bigot and, and anti Gentle lady from California will suspend your. That is uh, Representative Steve King. He's the chairman of this committee, Republican from Iowa. Out of order. She's out of order. We don't order. call names time, in this Mr. committee, Chairman. and you'll not be recognized to do that. Mr. Chairman, it is my time. And I, I would just like to say that we allow witnesses to say offensive things, uh, but I cannot allow that kind of bigotry to go into the record unchallenged. <laughs> so, <laughs> which, listen, listen to the final word of Gail. Gail gets in a, a dagger here in a second. Now, I don't want to get into a d debate about Does it. Does that mean you think I am a Russian princess? <laughs> I have no idea now, but... <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Excellent. That is what you call an ad hominem attack. <laughs> that is a perfect definition. You attack the person. You don't attack the what they what they stand for or what what they believe. So you can disregard everything that she says because she's a bad person in your opinion. Mm -hmm. So ad hominem attack right there. Um, sorry, I'm going on staying in the 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 the. Uh, Congress. That was great. Staying in the Congress, uh, the Senate side. How much now. you bet she gets uh, reelected? <clears throat> California. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Senate side, Senator Tom Cotton from Republican Arkansas um, had this to say about. Serving the Senate's an honor, serve the people of Arkansas. Harry I would never Reed. complain about the tasks that were given. There is one small burden I bear, though. As a junior senator, I preside over the Senate. I usually do it in the morning, which means I am forced to listen to the bitter, vulgar, incoherent ramblings of the minority leader. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> he said this on the Senate floor. 
basically Harry Reid. Bitter, incoherent ramblings. Normally, like every other American, I ignore them. I can't ignore them today, however. The minority leader came to the floor, grinding the Senate to a halt all week long, saying that we haven't had time to read this defense bill, that it was written in the dead of night. We just had a vote that passed 98 to nothing. It could have passed unanimously two days ago. Let's examine these claims that we haven't had time to read it. 98 to nothing. And in committee, all the Democrats on the Armed Services Committee voted in favor of it. When was the last time the minority reader, the minority read a bill? <laughs> Let's hear that again. <laughs> read a bill. It was probably an electricity bill. The minority read a bill. It was probably an electricity bill. When was the last time Harry Reid read a bill? Oh. <laughs> Probably an electricity bill. What about the claims <laughs> that it was written in the dark of night? It's been public for weeks. And this coming from a man who drafted Obamacare in his office and rammed it through this Senate at midnight on Christmas Eve on a straight party line vote? To say that the senator from Arizona wrote this in the dead of night, slipped in all kinds of provisions, that people didn't have time to read it, that is an outrageous slander. And to say that he cares for the troops, how about this troop and his son and his father and his grandfather, four generations of service, to include almost six years of rotting in a prisoner of war camp, say that he's delaying this because he cares for the troops, a man who never served himself, a man who in April 2007 came to this very floor before the surge had even reached its peak and said the war is lost when over 100 Americans were being killed in Iraq every month when I was carrying their dead bodies off an airplane at Dover Air Force Base. It was an outrage to say that we had to delay this because he cares for the troops. We're delaying it for one reason and one reason only, to protect his own sad, sorry legacy. <laughs> he now complains in the mornings that the Senate is not in session enough that our calendar is too short. I actually love what he says here. Well, whatever you think about that, the happy byproduct of fewer days in session in the Senate is that this institution will be cursed less with his cancerous leadership. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> wow! <laughs> finally, finally some truth on the Senate floor. So what did Harry Reid have to I say about know. that? How, what could he say? Yeah, but you're fat. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's true. Oh, yeah. I, I thought that was genius. Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. Who is that? Uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Who is that? Mm -hmm. uh, who was that? Who was that? Who is that? Who was it? Who is that? Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. <laughs> Money, money, money! This is the theme song for Donald Trump. Or it was for years on NBC as The Apprentice. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So, Donald Trump, I have decided, is an absolute genius. Okay. Now, I don't know if he's smart or not, but he is a master at controlling everything. He uh, <coughs> had a town hall 
I believe, in Anaheim, California. And I guess because they were televised, um, they ran out of time for the national anthem. This is Trump's response. Here's what happened. I got here, and they all said, we have a great crowd. We don't have time for the national anthem. I said, yes, we do. We have... What a genius. Time for the national anthem, right? (laughs) And we have a young lady that is going to sing, and I said, what are you doing? She said, well, I was supposed to sing, but they had time because of the television cameras. They couldn't do it. I said, guess what? We're going to do the national anthem, okay? (laughs) So, Sherry Wilkins, come up. Sherry, come on, Sherry. Who in the world is going to say boo at him for this? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Of course, she's a bombshell blonde. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Which makes me think this is absolutely set up. Can you see by the dawn's you got to see this shot. You have to see this shot. That is absolute beauty. Trump is standing behind, kind of behind into the side, singing along, patting his heart, his heart with his hand. Absolute brilliant PR move. What do you say? The entire crowd sat down. It it does kind of look green screened a bit. (laughs) That totally looks like a a SNL skit. I mean, it looks like. But can you imagine? Who is going to say, who is going to condemn him? Yeah. And, and what he did, he had a limited time. Again, absolute genius. He now lost two minutes of the time he would have had to speak content <laughs> by doing the national anthem on TV. Woo! Genius. Man, you know, he's still singing along, patting his, patting his heart. And then he starts smiling. The crowd gets happy. And he actually started the applause. Shakes her hand, looks very kindly into her face, says, thank you. He is a hero. I think he is a genius. Like him or not, that was a brilliant PR move. Brilliant. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I I don't know who set it up, but it was brilliant. Well, I mean, you can't can't be a billionaire. Okay, he doesn't have... He's not worth ten billion, but he's worth, I guess, a lot. Yeah, I mean, more than you and I. Either way, a billion—it's a million, million. At least individually, he's worth more than you and <laughs> right. I. You know, me alone or you alone, but thousand million, sorry, hundreds of dollars. But um, <laughs> you can't do all the stuff that he's done and be a complete moron. True. Now, I think he embraces. I think he embraces the image that he's portraying, and maybe you know, maybe it's authentic, or maybe it's a caricature that he that he creates for the camera and whatnot. Who knows? But he's he's good at the act. If it is, yeah. I uh, I personally not going to vote for him, but 
I can see how uh, at least it's a breath of fresh air for most people. Yeah. So, <clears throat> wow. I love that. Uh, when did that one um, uh, senator <laughs> say all that? Um, oh, against before, Harry Reid? Yeah. Because that's like, Harry Reid is, <laughs> I, I'd hate to call him a scumbag because He's, that's putting man, down scumbags. Close. close. <clears throat> this was... It was pub. Uh, put on YouTube yesterday. This clip from the from C-SPAN was put on yesterday. Between him and Nancy Pelosi, I don't know which one is more vile. Um, oh yeah, it's hard to tell. And and it's it's simply because of the stuff that he said. I mean, for me, it's not the politics that mm-hmm. makes that makes me want to vomit when when mm-hmm. I when I hear about him. I mean, I do hope. That sometime between now and the time that they breathe their last, mm-hmm. that they they honestly and authentically have a relationship with Jesus Christ and their sins are forgiven. Because if they don't, oh my goodness. <clears throat> yeah. M- remember her? I know we haven't talked much about her. Much. A little bit early. Hillary. 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 <laughs> yeah. Sally Miller. I, I I read through some of this. I didn't actually see the whole clip, so I apologize if there are any children listening. Um, Heads up. But this is Sally Miller, who was, I believe, a mistress of Bill's mm. at some point. Ah. Of course, it's coming through. Not stereo again. So I can't even. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We need to do this real fast. Just a minute. Pardon the interruption. Pardon the interruption. Guess we'll fix that right there, perhaps. All right. Now, see what happens. Woman, you know, I'm seven years older than Bill, and I think that that's the reason that he confided in me because. You see, his mother was the central part of his world, his life, and he didn't she ever really have a strong former Miss Arkansas. Figure. And I think he felt like he could talk to me like he would talk to his mother. She claims to have had an affair with Bill in 1983 while he was governor. During that time, he revealed some scandalous details about Hillary. Yeah, I remember reading this. <laughs> We laughed a lot and we had fun. Of course, he he didn't need it, but I think maybe he had to become a habit that he smoked marijuana <laughs> and that he uh, did coke. Actually, <laughs> I just realized this is a table. It's funny, just sitting here. No uh, way. <laughs> all my furniture I've collected through the years, but this is uh, the couch he sat on. That's the table. When he did coke. <laughs> that's insane. He brought a little... Like a woman's cosmetic case. That's the only thing I can describe. And he put it down here, pushed everything aside. Of course, he was a little bit bigger than me. And he rolled it out, and there was this little mat. And he sprinkled this white powder. I was sitting across the way. I was just fascinated because it had a little straw. And he leaned over and 
you know, in each nostril, took a few big snorts and he felt better, I guess, because he had a big smile on his face. And I asked him if he did coke because it uh, was almost like a stimulant. He said it just made him feel better, gave him more power, made him feel courageous. And uh, I didn't question it because everybody has different ways of getting high. I go running and I got a high. <laughs> nice. But uh, if right. you ever saw pictures of Bill, yeah. he didn't run much. <laughs> but he did do coke. <laughs> and apparently, um, <laughs> she says, described Hillary as a coke addict who preferred um, relations, we'll say, with women rather than men. You mean she liked to <laughs> get together and talk about books? Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. things. Book club, yeah. Like if a book, the book club, club kind of yeah. thing mm -hmm. is yeah. what it was. Allegedly, Bill told this Miller lady, the only time Hillary gets aroused and agrees to play sexy is after she snorts coke. <laughs> Bill Bear. And I, if this is any way true, this lady should stay away from hot tubs. <laughs> she shouldn't eat any oysters um, and avoid any physical contact with anyone that might poke a needle of death into her. I don't know. I think someone like this, uh, if if she was a threat, she would have been killed a long time ago. I would think so. Because, you know, look at, uh, look at all the other people that have died around the Clintons. <clears throat> There was a thing called the Ulsterman Report yes. before the last um, election, and it was a um, it was a reporter who claimed to be interviewing a um, a longtime Democratic insider who uh, was a powerful insider for the Democratic Party who hated Barack Obama because of what he was going to do to the nation and whatnot. And he had talked about how back in the, must have been in the 90s? Towards the end of the 90s, I think it was. Or the mid-90s. Anyways, it was, a, it was a campaign. Must have been mid-90s, like 96 or whatever. And they were at this campaign... Um, meeting and Bill Clinton was there and all of a sudden the door opened and this little old guy came walking in and all of a sudden got quiet and everybody parted. Oh no. He said that Bill Clinton looked up some and made a beeline to him and started shaking his hand and whatnot and the guy whispered in his ear and he, he spent all of his attention on this little old guy we had some bodyguards around him, and then he turned around and left. And then Bill went back to the party. And it was <clears throat> one of the... Elites? Yeah, one of the elites. Um, so I, I think that if this woman was an actual threat, I don't think... She would be around. Same thing with Paula Jones and all the rest of them. Because they can look at them and just say, okay, yeah, right. Because, they, I mean, there is no proof. So. Mm -hmm. 
And basically, Republicans will go see, and the Democrats will say, well, she's a liar. End of discussion. So the left is pretty, pretty, pretty panicked about Trump. It's, I don't know it, why they are. When the left starts to lose, they break the law. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin, you had Governor Walker, who had campaigned on exactly the reforms that he passed. He had helped elect more Senate and House members on exactly the reforms he passed. The reaction of the left was to have huge demonstrations, to occupy the Capitol, to do all sorts of stuff. Um, <clears throat> I think you have to expect that a Trump candidacy and then a Trump presidency is going to lead the left to just do wild things. And the key is for the police to enforce the law. Private dem you know, demonstrations that are peaceful and respectful, absolutely the American tradition. Demonstrations that start getting violent, demonstrations where people start attacking the police, have to be suppressed totally. I agree. That Newt Gingrich, <clears throat> that that Newt Gingrich, the Catholic, well, that Newt the Catholic convert. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that came up, but it just <laughs> popped into my head that he did that. So, <laughs> the president, our current president um, of this party, was in Japan uh, after taking questions for about ten minutes. You mean he, that Oriental nation? Sorry. You just broke the, you broke the law. How dare you? No soup for you. Here is uh, the president. As a special bonus, I'm going to take one more question. How arrogant, for one. I'm sorry. That is utter arrogance. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, sorry for the audio. Uh, you mentioned some tactical differences between the two Democratic candidates, but uh, when you hear Bernie Sanders speak, it seems like he's talking more about the issue of trustability and the 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 need for uh, political. Re Did he say trustability? Is that yes. a word? N no, I don't think so. Trustability. Hold on, we'll see. Um, define trustability. Showing search results for define trustability. <laughs> That's not a word. Not a word. Evolution. Um, and just yesterday, we saw the State Department's Inspector General put out a report about uh, Secretary Clinton's emails. And uh, it so his face just turned into a scowl, like now frowning at this guy. Basically, undermined some of what she said about her email practices. I'm wondering if you think that undermines her uh, her trustworthiness with the American people. And if you agree with Bernie Sanders that she should release the transcripts of her highly paid speeches to Wall Street. Okay. You know what? I take it back. I'm not taking it back. Oh, everyone's a comedian. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> We're in Japan. Don't we have something in Asia that we want to talk about? I'll, I'll, I'll be talking about this in, in Washington uh, the whole time. Look, I, I, I've already said a lot about uh, those issues. I think those are better directed look, to the campaign. Look. Performative. Look. Uh, as I said yes. before. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he just did another one. As I've said before. Yes. I think those were better directed to the campaign. Uh, as I said before, yeah, during the course of a primary, people say what they think might help them get some votes. And, uh, you know, once the campaign's over, then uh, they move on uh, and they make an assessment in terms of how they can. 
uh, make sure that the vision that they care most deeply about uh, has the best chance of uh, passing a Congress and getting signed by a president and uh, that Supreme Court nominees are confirmed and uh, all the things that make for a functioning, effective government. So um, He just turned that into a slide at Congress currently. Got to make sure that Supreme Court nominees get accepted or and then just get stuff done? You know, I think that uh, the noise that uh, uh, is going back and forth between uh, the candidates at this point, uh, if, if you want you know, insights into how they're thinking about it, uh, uh, those should be directed to them. Thanks. Thanks, Mary. Pretty appreciate that. Prez. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Katie Couric apparently had a gun documentary. What do you mean a gun? Um, a documentary on gun violence hosted by Katie Couric was apparently edited to make activists look kind of clueless. In one scene, of, they called it Under the Gun, Couric interviews members of the Virginia Citizens Defense League, a pro-gun group. Couric asked the group, if there are no background checks for gun purchasers, how do you prevent felons or terrorists from purchasing a gun? Here is the... Let me ask you another question. If there are no... This is how it was edited. This is how it was pre presented um, in the documentary that aired background checks for gun purchasers. How do you prevent felons or terrorists from purchasing a gun? So <clears throat> the video is now showing them looking down, looking at each other, saying nothing. And then it shows a revolver cylinder being closed, a loaded cylinder being closed into the, the, uh, the gun. However, The actual raw video of that was somewhat different. Oh. If there are no background checks, how do you prevent? I know how you all are going to answer this, but I'm asking anyway. If there are no background checks for gun purchasers, how do you prevent felons or terrorists from walking into, say, a licensed gun dealer and purchasing a gun? Well, one, if. Okay, that was two seconds, and there was an answer coming out. Yeah. Ah, where'd we go? Oh, 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 I lost it. If there are no background checks, how do you prevent... I know how you all are going to answer this, but I'm asking anyway. If there are no background checks for gun purchasers, how do you prevent felons or terrorists from walking into, say, a licensed gun dealer and purchasing a gun? Well, one, if, if you're not in jail, you should still have your basic rights and you should go buy a gun. So uh, if you're a terrorist or a felon? If you're, if you're a felon and you've done your time... Katie's a moron. You should have your rights. What well, the fact is we do have statutes, both at the federal and state level, that prohibit classes of people from being in possession of firearms. If you're under 18 in Virginia, you can't walk around with a gun. If you're an illegal immigrant, if you're uh, a convicted felon, um, if you've been adjudicated insane, uh, these things are already illegal. 
So what we're really asking about is a question of prior restraint. How can we prevent future crime by identifying bad guys before they do anything bad? And the simple answer is you can't. And particularly under the legal system we have in the United States, there are a lot of Supreme Court opinions that say, no, prior, prior restraint is something that the, the government does not have the authority to do. Until there is an overt act that allows us to say, that's a bad guy, then you can't punish him. Uh, I would take another um, outlook on this. First, I'll ask you what crime or what law has ever stopped a crime? There you Tell go. One law that has ever stopped a crime from happening. Well, some would argue since the Brady no, Katie, Bill was you enacted, would argue. you know, people who have an opposing point of view, two million guns have been kept from the hands of criminals. But what's, who's to say that that person that was denied a background check didn't go out and buy or steal a gun? Well, perhaps it made it more difficult, else. and who knows? That's sort of a hypothetical. Yes, sort um, of hypothetical. So, but I think that that's, that's a law that kept guns uh, from getting into the hands of wrong uh, if, people who should not no, own guns. No, it didn't. to people who support the Brady Bill. If that were the case, we would have seen a significant reduction in crime with the reduction of sales of guns to people. But or what, we would have seen a, a, a smaller increase, and that, again, is hard to measure. None of this was in the documentary. If you go to Prince George's County, Maryland, I mean, it must be the safest place on Earth because it makes they have Katie tremendous look like a gun moron. control. But in fact, it's, it's practically it the, the murder capital of the country. Uh, it's because people who have... Um, who otherwise law-abiding, self-reliant folks are prohibited from being able to defend themselves, and the people who want to kill them are not. So like Chicago. Back to the point like that Chicago. I was getting to in a roundabout way. Um, if someone wants to commit murder, and even if they are prevented from getting a gun to commit that murder with, it doesn't necessarily stop them from committing the murder and the murder is already against the law. The right. tool that they use may change, but if they are bound and determined to break a law, commit murder, commit robbery, break into somebody's house, whatever it is that they're going to do, then the law is not stopping them. It is just giving an avenue to punish them if and when they are caught. Is it making it, though? I think this is the attitude of these people is that if you own a gun or you possess a gun, you're more disposed to commit a crime than if you don't own you a mean gun. like the Katie Couric position? The Katie yeah. Couric position. Because I have a gun, there's something about this gun that makes me want to go out and kill somebody or harm somebody. And if that does not follow, then... Gun control, what they're asking for, is not going to inhibit anything, especially when you have, I don't know what, three, four hundred million guns in the United States. There's no possible way to get rid of them. The other thing is you cannot go into a gun store in any state in the union and just buy a gun. You cannot. There is no gun gun, uh, store owner who will do it. Well, it's a crime. Well, yeah, for, but first it's a crime, but yeah. second... They, well, they, they just won't do it. They exactly. have a fi- uh, federal firearms license. Right. So every gun that goes into their into their store is tracked. 
And then if the ATF comes, which they do come on a regular basis and audit their weapons and audit the weapons that were in the store yeah, and anymore. where are they now? And if there is not a, 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 a good, um, What's that form, a, yeah, four forty or 40, something like uh-huh. that. Yeah. If there is not a paper trail, they are in trouble. Their federal firearms license will be taken away. They might get thrown into prison. Mm-hmm. There is no circumstance where somebody can walk into a gun store and just buy a gun. And as far as um, uh, gun shows are concerned, there is nothing, at least in, in Minnesota and in South Dakota, there is nothing illegal about you selling a gun to another person. Right. That's totally legal. It's completely legal. <laughs> now, it's your due diligence to try to figure out who that person is <laughs> and whatnot. Worthy, right. So... At a uh, at a um, at a uh, gun um, gun show, I I mean personally I I would think that you're an idiot if you're just going to sell it to somebody mm-hmm. and they don't have a proper identification and mm-hmm. potential permit to purchase or permit to carry or something like that. But but there is nothing illegal that says that you can't do that. <clears throat> well, and as I mean as a buyer, I would not want to go and find someone wandering about in a show. Hey, want to buy a watch? Yeah, that's not not the transaction I want to make from the buyer side either. Exactly. So I, you know, that's just to me that is so minor. And if you wanted, if you wanted to steal a gun, you know what you'd all you'd have to do is you'd have to just hang out at a Walmart or what, some place like that. Watch when people come in and see what kind of ammo they pick up. There you go. Follow them out to their car. Get their li- uh, their uh, license plate, mm-hmm. or just follow them to wherever they live. Mm-hmm. We're not condoning that, anyone. So don't actually do this. But well. th- th- this is what David might do <laughs> if I was if he was a crim- criminal. Yeah. A criminal. But I mean, <laughs> that's as hard as it would be yeah. in order to do it. Or um, during the hunting season, go find, yeah. go out and find people that are hunting, and just follow them back to their place. Keep an eye on it, and when they go somewhere, you break in and steal their weapon. I mean, if that's if that's what you wanted to do, and you didn't care about the law, so this is all this is ridiculous. But if, but again, since when has logic or uh, truth mattered to any of these people? The Virginia the answer is never right. Defense League. Um, the people that were interviewed by her in that documentary, they labeled the deceptively edited segment featured in the film, quote, unbelievable and extremely unprofessional. Katie Kirk asked a key question during an interview of some members of our organization, and then she intentionally removed their answers and spliced in nine seconds of some prior video of our members sitting quietly and not responding. Viewers are left with the misunderstanding that the members had no answer to her question. In a statement to the Washington Post, the film's producer-slash-editor Stephanie Sochtig said, There are a wide range of views expressed in the film. My intention was to provide a pause for the viewer to have a moment to consider this important question before presenting the facts on Americans' opinions on background checks. So the people that she was talking to, their opinions didn't actually matter. They weren't fact. They had to go find other opinions. I never intended to make anyone look bad, and I apologize if anyone felt that way. Oh, you just felt that way by looking at it. And Couric said she supports Sochtig's statement in the matter and is very proud of the film. Of course. Because the reason she cut that back and forth out is because it made her sound like an absolute fool. 
Yep. I'd cut it out too. Yep. Yeah. School is insane. Hey, hey, I think school's out. School is out. Uh, literally. Yep. But this is the David Allen Show. DavidAllenShow.com. We are ever so slowly coming to a close of yet another fine, fine episode. Episode number 16. Wow. Of this consecutive. This, this is consecutive, this David Allen Show. This is the David Allen Show. Wait for it. Kim Card Kim Chloe Kardashian is once again seeking to end her marriage to former NBA player Lamar Odom. You know, with when love like that can't make it, what hope do the rest of us have? Court records in Los Angeles show Kardashian filed for divorce Thursday, citing irreconcilable differences. The reality TV star and Oda married in September 2009, and she filed to divorce him on in December 2013, which she still lists as their date of separation. The divorce was never finalized. Really? Two and a half years ago? And Kardashian withdrew the petition after Odom was found unconscious at a Nevada brothel last year. She cited Could Odom's happen to anybody. medical condition as one reason to withdraw the divorce. The medical condition. He's <laughs> passing out. In a, a whorehouse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Odom was hospitalized stretch, in critical but... condition in Las Vegas in October 2015 after he was found unconscious with cocaine and other drugs in his system. After months of recovery, he returned to the public eye in February at a Kanye West fashion show. The divorce filing states Kardashian and Odom have a prenuptial agreement. They have no children together, thank God. Oh, yeah. I mean, cause, because we all give a crap about a Kardashian, right? Well, I mean, in one sense, I mean, 
I mean, nobody wants something bad to happen, but it's just... But really, who cares, though? I know. I mean, they're just... Yeah. They're people. Let them be people. Yeah. Millennials. <laughs> At least they're not going after 72 grapes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder if ISIS... Somebody from ISIS is going, Are you kidding me? Oh, crap! Me? Crap! I will what? kill you! Oh, wait. No! I no. don't... No! <laughs> I won't. I quit. I quit. I hate grapes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, from the sports, but also into the... Politics. The Dallas Mavericks owner, Mark Cuban, on Thursday said he is, quote, wide open to the conversation around him becoming a vice presidential candidate and is looking <laughs> forward to discussing that possibility with Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, should they ask for a meeting. And it's interesting. What Nobody's an asking. piece of crap he is. <laughs> you know, you know, Alan, I I should have said this earlier, but, but I... I thought that this is a perfect platform um, <laughs> for uh, just just to let. Are you opening? Are you opening the door? Well, I'm I'm telling the 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 Queen of England, I'm I'm available for adoption at any time. Um, <clears throat> she can all she has to do is call me. Are you my a publicist. Russian princess? I could be, <laughs> if the price is right, I will be a Russian princess. <laughs> Cuban told ESPN Radio's Capital Games podcast. He says, what makes me a different candidate for vice president is that I'm a geek working in the tech industry. It's important <laughs> for presidential candidates to be tech savvy, and none are right now. I don't think we want... Well, never mind. I was going to say we don't want a bombastic fool. Maybe we do. Ah, well, maybe they'll cancel each other out. <laughs> he says, I'm wide open to it in terms of discussing the vice presidency. I got asked the question, would I consider it? And the answer is yes. Well, yeah. I mean, would you consider a lot of things? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't hurt to consider. <laughs> would you consider taking a one-way trip to Mars? Well, yeah, I'll consider it. <clears throat> <laughs> he said if he were to seek office, he would not sell the Mavericks. He says, I would remove myself from the group of decision makers. It would be... It would be put in a trust. I wouldn't be able to deal with it on a daily basis. Mm. I wouldn't have to sell it. Mm. Mm. You know, it's that self-sacrifice. <laughs> that That's the American spirit right there. There it is. You know, you're willing to just give and give and give, asking for nothing in return. That's a beautiful thing. I'm weeping on the inside. This is the David Allen Show case you were unsure at this stage of the game you sat through two and a half hours and you yeah. didn't know what it is yeah they're hey, so here we wrong are. with you <laughs> <laughs> okay one last story here etan thomas who is that a name yeah. etan former nba player etan etan thomas oh i don't follow that but well, anyways mm -hmm. has a uh, has called out a woman, he says, denied him a seat next to her on a crowded train only to offer it to another passenger. He wrote in a Facebook post on Friday, 
because that's what we do now. We post it on Facebook that he asked a woman if he could sit next to her on a crowded train, but he was told the seat was taken. Thomas, who is black, says a white man inquired about the seat less than two minutes later, and the woman obliged. So here's must be how it went down. Lady sitting there waiting for her husband, or waiting for someone she's waiting for. Sorry, this is taken. Someone comes up, oh, is that the seat you got for me? Yep. Oh, racism. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's what happened, but it could have been. Or she was sitting there, no, it's taken. She gets a text from her friend. Oh, yeah, it's free. Mm -hmm. So, Thomas says he confronted the woman and took a picture, which he posted to Facebook. He says he called the conductor, who Thomas says was a fan of his. A fan of mine. He didn't say the incident took... He didn't say where the incident took place or what train line he was on, because it didn't. Thomas played nine seasons in the NBA, so he's a millionaire. Should should be, anyway. Here's the thing that nobody... She's perfectly in her right to say no. Yeah, I know. So what? NBA players are not little. No. None of, none of them are little. No. Muggsy Bogues was. He's not there anymore. Yeah. Um... And it's and so, completely legal for her right. to say no. <laughs> right. If he would have sat down, she could have moved yeah. or she could have stayed. Yeah. End of the story. What difference does it make? Well, what, would it have been different if she was a schizophrenic homeless person who thought he was a, a, a werewolf and didn't want him sitting next? I mean, it racism, doesn't matter. Obviously. It doesn't matter if the person doesn't want you sitting next to him. Why would you want to sit next to him? And if you're a if you're a professional basketball player, I'm owed it. You should be in good enough shape to stand for a little bit, you <laughs> big baby. And there it is. Uh, the slow drip of insanity. Uh, Are you a happy Chewbacca? Oh, brother. Mm. This is the David Allen Show. We are live Thursday nights around 7-ish, 8-ish p.m. Central. <laughs> DavidAllenShow.com. We appreciate you hanging out with us for this craziness. Have a fantastic Memorial Weekend. Yeah. Thanks for all the money you guys been sending yes. in, too. DavidAllenShow at gmail.com. DavidAllenShow.com. Have a great night. Toodles.